Hello and welcome again at Holistic Investments and I'm your host, Konstantin Kogan, and I'm delighted to have Mike McGlone uh, as my guest today. Hi, Mike. Hi, Konstantin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'm, saying, uh, I'm actually really excited about it because uh, Mike is a senior commodity strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence, and he's been around in the space for quite a while and has a tremendous career in traditional space, and he's an exceptional analyst. I'm a big fan. I read all your, uh, all your articles. So, yeah, and before we begin, traditionally, I have to uh, read the disclaimer. This content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. So now we're off the hook, we can start the conversation. So Mike, I, I know you for, for some time already, like and we met in multiple conferences, uh, and I think, uh, uh, you know, considering your great career, like, you know, you've been, you've been analyzing future markets, ETFs, you know, gold, you know, you name it, all the asset class probably possible, right? So can you maybe uh, say a few words, what actually excites you and interests you in digital assets and specifically in Bitcoin? Well, that's, I can go far on that one, but let's start with the bottom line as a strategist that matters for my job, and that is trying to predict price, and that is demand versus supply. So start with supply. It's limited. It's by code, supply in Bitcoin will increase at a pace of 2% this year. Last year it was 3 to 4%, and before that was much higher. As we get to the next election, the next halving, it'll drop below 1%. It'll stay that way and incrementally decline for years, for 100 years. So the only thing that matters is demand and adoption. And most of my indicators are quite positive. And first of all, so for price, I look at, you know, trying to say, where's the price going to go? I say, okay, well... I know supply is declining, so what's what are the demand indicators? Boom, that's all that really matters. And most of my demand indicators point positive. And what gets me excited about it is how new and exciting and revolutionary it is in terms of, let's start with the first disclaimer. It could fail. I mean, it's new technology. Or it could be the hardest form of money ever. And the way I look at it is since I'm in the office and we have compliance reasons with using different types of video machines, I can't use my firm. So I'm using my phone for this and, you know, and it's quality is quite good. So my point is everybody has everything on their phone. So why not have your money, your wallet, everything on your phone? And to me, that is where things are going. So I view it as more likely to fail. I'm sorry, to, <laughs> to succeed. And if it does have some issues i should be one of the first to really figure them out i can't you know figure out legislation and things but i can point out the trends and they're clearly positive for the demand adoption in price of bitcoin a lot of the other cryptos not so much because there's so many of them last year was three thousand this year there's seven thousand okay so we all know from the rules of economics that's probably a problem for price some will win um but i can probably stop there and move on to the next um next question Sure. No, and we, uh, on that note, we've seen uh, recently Chairman of CFTC almost said about Ethereum that it's almost like not exactly word by word, but it's almost like the context was like it's too big to fail, right? And see, it was not a direct endorsement. Obviously, as a regulator, cannot allow that, but it was a very positive review, right? And we see like tremendous news, like you know, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, like when a lot of companies, public companies, publicly traded companies, you know, they're investing in their treasury uh, reserves and and the long vision of Bitcoin to grow up to hundred thousand dollars or more. And there's a lot of great news as PayPal. So 
you, in your latest um, article, you mentioned that there is a 40,000 uh, resistance uh, waiting uh, for us in Bitcoin. So can you talk about that a little bit? Well, um, you mentioned first something I find very unique about the space, and that is, um, and touched on it, is higher prices, increasing market capitalization in this nascent asset and technology, which is only just over 200 billion now, increases demand. Why? Because it becomes more in the mainstream. And that's what we're seeing. That was, that's the, the, um, the herd that was supposed to be coming. Mike Novogratz has been talking about forever. We've done um, work with Mike Novogratz. Yeah, I have better hair um, with Bloomberg, Bloomberg Galaxy Next. But that herd's coming. It's really kicked in. MicroStrategy you mentioned, PayPal. At some point, it could become part of central bank holdings. I don't see why not. But right now, it's too small. But every day that it gets bigger and every day it survives, the demand increases. So that's the unique thing I see about the space and continuing um, and its price appreciation. Um, and where, where were you going to go with that other before <laughs> other question? Yeah, okay, yeah, kind of I, I was I was asking basically like you 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 predict right now the, the oh, fourteen thousand yeah this is forty thousand dollars. So right now we already surpassed thirty thousand dollars easily. It was like that fast and. There is a uh, there is a feeling like on the market like that we haven't even consumed enough like of the bullish trend that the price does oh, okay. not go as much as it should go you know well yeah so that's the key thing for this year Bitcoin as we speak is running around thirteen thousand um, dollars you know it's the best performing asset this year it's up almost eighty percent but this year to me was very straightforward as a strategist I looked at it it's just trading within a range of a bull market. And to me, 14,000 was initial target resistance. And the fact that in the last year around 7,000 made it quite straightforward. Like, okay, last year it failed at 14,000. There was responsive sellers above there. Bottomed around, it had that one dicey dip in March when the whole world collapsed. But going to 14,000 is just random walk on Wall, and, 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 and a, and a, Wall Street, random walk of a, of a consolidated market. So that to me is the level we should be getting to soon, how the market reacts there. I don't know. I think there'll be responsive selling, but that's going to be the narrative for next year. This consolidating bull should at some point break out. The question is when and how, and all the indications are positive. I think the key inflection point for the next um, catalyst to really go higher will be something and maybe something to happen with what's going on with the stock market, i.e., mm-hmm. we've had this core, mostly spurious correlation between the stock market and Bitcoin for 10 years mainly because we've had a 10-year bull market in the stock market and Bitcoin just came up, you know, it was, it was new. So that was mostly spurious. People point out there's a high correlation, like Bitcoin this year is at the highest correlation to gold and its history, 12-month, 52-week basis, they're the highest ever. And yes, everything's correlated to the stock market when you crash like it did and rally like it did. Um, but I think that's breaking down. And the key inflection I look for, so I look at the macro and the inflection I'm looking for from a trading standpoint is versus the NASDAQ. So if you look at Bitcoin versus the NASDAQ, most of this year, you just they're basically the same level. And as we speak, the NASDAQ is holding resistance above 12,000. It just hasn't been able to get above that. Yet the Bitcoin's broke above 12,000. This is, they've basically been based at the same level when they met about 6,000 in 2017. So I see that breaking out. The key point, um, and then we'll move on, is of almost all the assets risk assets on the planet bitcoin volatility has been declining it's 260 day volatility in bitcoin is running 
um, well, 60% or so a year or two ago was around 70 or 80% versus every other asset on the planet, most mostly equities, volatility is increasing. So this nascent risk asset is becoming um, less risky. And that's probably an indication it has to look ahead at better performance. So th this is one of the other questions I wanted to ask you. So I'm happy we're like touching upon it. So can you name a few of the major, um, I would say, top three reasons why do you like why do we see the decline in volatility of Bitcoin? Maturity is number one. It's all that matters. That's the I mean, bottom line. Bitcoin was very much of a new asset class we brought on. It's becoming mature. It's becoming more adopted. Futures were a big part of reducing the volatility. Remember, futures were launched in 2017. And I, it's one of those things you get the little bell ringing, being in the trading pits. Remember, so when they asked me, radio asked me both those Sunday nights, it was December 11th and December 18th, both Sunday nights, radio asked me to get online and comment about the Bitcoin futures launch, the CBOE, and then the CME. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a sign of it. This is a bell ring. And so that was when I was around 17,000. So yeah, it dropped from there to 3,000. Um, but futures brought Bitcoin into the mainstream. I, futures are regulated by the CFTC. Um, and when the SEC says there's, they're not, Bitcoin's not traded on a lot of regulated exchanges, which is part of the reason they've been rejecting a lot of ETF launches. Well, the CME futures are regulated exchange and volume and open interest have been increasing. So that to me is a key thing, the pressure volatility. I, I come from a futures background, used to be in trading pits, and we didn't really care about prices, directions, and stock markets going up so much. We just wanted to buy low and sell high and help our customers hedge and, and, and manage their risk. Mm -hmm. Actually, the main thing you want is volatility. Because futures help pressure that. I mean, it, it, it's easy to, to, to trade the wings, trade the, the tails of kurtosis, as they might say, that make it sound mm -hmm. like I know something. Um, but that to me, is, it's just more adoption. And what we saw recently is PayPal getting involved, MicroStrategy joining, and just mm -hmm. more and more players. The more players, the better. Pressure volatility. And again, it's only been around for a decade. And where is it going to be next a decade from now? I think volatility in Bitcoin is going to gravitate towards gold. So now, how do you correlate it to gold? Like, you know, I, I've read a lot of analysis where you compare it to like precious metals and specifically to gold. And, uh, and you know, in this time when, you know, we see unprecedented global, like, you know, quantitative easing and, it's, you know, it's boosting gold, right, as a store of value. And we see very similar trajectory with Bitcoin due to its like, fixed supply and scarcity. Like, so can you, uh, can you also compare this two assets and how do they, like, you know, how do they, like, what do they share together and how they're different as well? Limited supply, increasing demand. Um, and that's part of the essence of gold since the history of time. It's hard to come on to bring in more gold. Now, if an asteroid, we find an asteroid that's loaded with gold, that would be a problem for um, the price of gold because it would be a massive supply. But it's hard. It's the most unique element on the planet. It's indestructible and so on and so forth. And it looks pretty and all that. Um, Bitcoin could be the digital equivalent. It could fail. But right now it is digital equivalent. And the bottom line is it's being adopted. Now, it has six or 7,000 competitors, but they're not being adopted. Um, you know, all the other cryptos out there. So the key thing to note for next year is the supply is going to drop to 2%. I mean, last year, before the halving, there was 1,800 new coins created a day. And now there's going to be, there's 900 until 2024, and then it's going to drop to 450. That's bottom line. That's it. Till we get to 21 million. And right now we're almost 19 million. So there's not enough left. Um, and so all that matters is demand. Um, and that's what's happening. Now, you mentioned the macro. So I look at, when I point out what's driving Bitcoin, we can make it complicated, mention all the things, or we can just say it's the same thing driving gold, number one. 
And the other things are people getting in the space. And right now, 200 billion or so is too small for some entities. But add a zero to that. Um, and that creates more demand. It's such a unique thing. So what's going to take for that to fail? That I can't predict. I'm looking for all the signs and warnings and all my indicators remain point positive. So here's one key fact that we can move on is there's the, there's, we mentioned earlier, there's, there's not an ETF on Bitcoin, not yet, not in the US. It's standard, you know, like, like a GLD. Um, but there is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, GBTC. Now that's a unit investment trust. Um, but just watching the flows in that alone, it's running right now in terms of equivalent, it's almost 500,000 um, Bitcoins. Just watching the flows since the halving, it's absorbed. Flows in this one investment have absorbed 70% of new Bitcoin supply. That's just one. So simple rules of supply and demand. When you have something entity like that absorbing supply, price must go up. One comparison is last year, central banks in the world absorbed about 20% of global gold supply. And that's helped push the price higher. No, that's that's an exceptional like analysis, and that's why I love talking to you. Like, so you mentioned the futures, right? And uh, I I've been trading futures, obviously not that professionally analyzing them as you, but Bitcoin um, to gold relationship, we were closer to zero, like you know, uh, like like now, right? And they're very like they're they're coming together, right? And I've seen some of your graphs showing this, like you know, which is a very interesting. I will I will share this. My question to you, you've mentioned, so we have futures, but what about ETFs right now? Uh, again, we, we see ETF style, like, you know, funds, but uh, what do you what do you think is going to take for, I mean, for the regulators to actually approve the first ETF? So my ETF team and Bloomberg, our ETF team and Bloomberg Intelligence basically say it's a matter of time, mm -hmm. um, and, but predicting the time is a little bit harder. So I like to use um, Mike Novos as what Mike Novogratz has been saying, that it's probably going to take a new head of the SEC. Now we're probably going to have a new democratic administration, which means there'll probably be resignation in a lot of these types of um, regulators. And we'll probably get a new head. The question is, how favorable will that person be? Now, we do have Hester Pierce at the SEC who's very favorable to cryptocurrencies. But I, I say it's a matter of time. The point I like to make is when it becomes quite evident, there'll be some legitimate, and I didn't say one, but some legitimate U.S.-based ETFs that track Bitcoin, mm -hmm. the price will be probably higher than it is now. Um, and people know that. I think the SEC, the regulators know that. So a little punny, a warning. And, uh, you know, it's coming in PayPal. It's, to me, just a matter of time. Um, you know, customers can use futures, can use a futures account. There's so many different ways. You can buy it through many different exchanges. will be able to use through PayPal. The unique thing I found this year, and that having um, millennial children helps, <laughs> is um, kind of like your age, and maybe being in touch with a lot of millennials at Bloomberg. It's great because they're involved in the space. And I need to learn. I learn so much from the young people. Sometimes I teach a little bit. Is this fact that, with your cryptos in a typical account at many of the exchanges, not so much exchanges, but the, um, the more uh, fintech companies, you can earn interest in our interest, five to 6%. And unless that fails in a world of 0% interest rate and you're getting appreciation, I can't see how that's not going to attract more capital. You know, yes, it's new, it's dicey, but everything all new technologies are dicey. I remember reading about when the railroad first got going, people were afraid that going that fast will mess with your human metabolism. But and telephones and things were supposed to be just for um, 
for like emergencies. And then we found that women love the gab on phones and they're great. So there's so many things like that, but um, this should be a matter of time. I just don't know when. And I think the new administration will help. If we get a new head of the SEC, we'll get some trick inkling of that of hopefully a year from now. So let's quickly try to, I mean, last question on, on this side, you know, I want to close this topic. So let's explore two scenarios because again, 2016, everybody was convinced that all the polls show, well, Clinton will win. Like, you know, like they seem like Trump nowhere. And, and we've seen quite a surprising uh, outcome, right? And everybody is like also predicting that Biden will win. But again, we never know, right? You know, that's a very unpredictable time. And let's let's assume like, you know, the Biden administration wins, right? And what's going to be to for crypto as an industry? And let's assume Trump will win. What's it going to be like, you know, and what, what will be the trends in your view? Okay, so Trump win is no problem. It's more of the same. But here's the key fact why I think, um, and I've been saying for quite a while, and I've been factoring this in my research, that it's unlikely Trump will win. Number one is the Democratic candidate was very controversial. They did not pick a middle-of-the-road candidate. The first female and ex-first lady, I've had Democrats tell me that I could not vote for that woman. That's just what people told me. One of them was my father, voted Democrat all his life. So they did not have a middle-of-the-road candidate. Democrats were smart enough to put out the best pants possible middle-of-the-road candidate that everybody name recognition that they could use this year. And the key, another question is, are you better off than you were four years ago? Most people say no. I mean, come on, we have the pretty significant development. And also when you have situations like this, um, unprecedented, you know, things like um, wars and stuff, and that are handled. Um, typically, the incumbent is not reelected. Then there's a the bottom line: has Mr. Trump's um, support increased or decreased or remained the same? So it's probably the same. Yet the, the other candidate is just so much stronger, and it's like I said, the pendulum's more likely to swing. So I've already factored that in, um, and that's where I see it's kind of unique that in a recession that we would have administration race taxes and increase regulation, people will vote for him, but. That's just the way it is, because that's what Mr. Um, Biden has said he would do for corporations, for individuals and things, and, and, and roll back some of the Trump tax cuts. But um, what regulation... About tax? Let me ask you, like, you know, are, do you, I, I speak to a lot of, like, uh, like I have half and half, like some of my friends, you know, like are in Democratic Kyle and some of my friends are Republicans. And both of them are really scared, like business people, like, you know, entrepreneurs and like, of a 62% increase, like, you know, both New York, California, and other states, like, of the taxes from, from Biden, you know, that's why they're, like, they're not saying it, but they're more favorable, like, you know, in terms of business, like, to other, to the other side. So I'm just curious to hear your, again, like, to, not to go political, but purely business-oriented. Well, this, this is pure business analysis. I'm a, I'm a very moderate Republican, but I voted both ways at the time. This is just pure analysis of what I expect in markets based on what I expect in political situations. So there'll be, um, the key thing is we've had a 10-year, basically a decade-long run in the U.S. stock market that's been almost unprecedented versus the rest of the world, which really helped boost the value of the dollar. Now, the dollar is measured in other forms of other currencies. I'm using a trade with a broad dollar. There's, it's really ripe for mean reversion. Well, we've had just a few months ago in this year, the U.S. Market cap of U.S. stock market reached the highest ever versus GDP. Historically, that's pretty expensive. And we've had a trade with a broad dollar reach an all-time high. So... All that needs is a little spark, catalyst for mean reversion, and poof. That's all it needs is a spark. So I look at as an analyst, what's the spark? Democratic administration said they're going to increase taxes, increase capital gains tax, and all that. So all it needs. So it might only last a month. It might last for six months. It might take 10 years. Who knows? But that's probably going to happen, and it's overdue. That was So that's what I'm expecting. The key thing is that, to me, is going to help trigger an inflection point between this 
form of a major form of asset, which used to be real estate, but it still is real estate, but equities, which need maybe a little bit of mean reversion towards things like crypto. So why most people haven't really cared this year about Bitcoin and so much crypto so much because they've and around anything else because they've had this massive stock market rally forever. When people sense that's going away and there's a period of underperformance, I didn't say typically historically it's not a it's not a if, it's a when. When they sense that period of outperformance in the stock market going away, I think the more grav gravitate more towards Bitcoin. We're seeing a lot of that. I mean, why is micro strategy doing that? Why is PayPal why is um, so many other entities? And that's also the inflection point we've seen recently. Now since basically 2000, mostly this year, I've been able to watch Bitcoin and the NASDAQ, and they're the same level. But recently, Bitcoin's broke above 12,000, and the NASDAQ keeps bumping up and it can't get through 12,000. So, yes, that's a short-term indication, but as a strategist, I'm always looking for inflections. I see that as an inflection. I see the demand versus supply situation for Bitcoin increasing, it's breaking above resistance, and I see the demand versus supply situation potential for the stock market to Maybe mean and the big advantage that gold and Bitcoin have is they've had bear markets and they've had substantial period of disdain. I mean, classic bear market was gold. It, well, it peaked in nineteen hundred and eleven in um, in two thousand eleven. It dropped to a thousand and stayed down for stayed below fourteen hundred for five years. That's a bear market. People gave up on it. When I was bullish a few years ago, they said, "Oh, you an idiot." But that's what you want to hear as a strategist. When everybody agrees with you, you're usually wrong. To me, that's what's happening now. Now, Bitcoin has a major advantage. It's still below the highs. It's had a major correction, and it's just starting to catch back up again. It gets dicey when it gets to new highs, and that's a question of time, which is the harder part to predict. There's there's another interesting prediction of yours that you know since 2016, you know, like the uh, the Bitcoins were on like you know 1400 percent, and they have like other if you actually calculated the uh, for, for like, you know, the two years, it might be even like 3000, like or more for some people who invested before. So, it, so you see it, as I understand, like, you know, that if, if we would account this potential growth, the price can go even towards like $80,000 so $100,000 in 2024. So can you, can you also back up this like thesis with some other, like, you know, some arguments for this? Well, something has to change for Bitcoin to not continue doing what it's been doing for most of its history, albeit at a much slower pace, is what I fully expect. So if you simply look at Bitcoin's tendency to add zeros from 10 to 100 to 1,000 to 10,000. Now, time it took from, to go from 1,000, um, when was it first there? It was around 2,000 and... Uh, in 12, 13, and it bumped up to 10,000, 2017. And we've been to 10,000, been flatline. Of course, we've peaked a little bit flatline for three years. It, it took four years to go from 1,000 to 10,000. So let's take eight years, which is double that, to go from 10,000 to 100,000. Okay, that's simple. That gets us to 2025. What happens in 2025? The annual supply is going to drop below 1%. Okay, so what's going to matter? One thing, demand. Mm -hmm. And I see all the indicators for demand. So let's look at one factor this year so far is um, just one entity, the Grayscale, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, CBTC, inflows into that trust since the halving have absorbed 70% of all new coins. So right now we're getting 900 coins a day. Last year it was 1,800. So we're going to get 900 a day fixed until 2024. It's a done deal. As long as those are absorbed by demand, price has to go up. Now, yes, there could be more sellers, but that one entity alone is absorbing that. So something needs to change 
for me, for my indicators, you know, those are more micro indicators. And there's other things like futures increase in open interest. Addresses used are a good indicator. And then there's the macro that are related to gold, quantitative easing, debt to GDP, zero interest rates. They all point positive. And that's where this year to me was the key proving point for Bitcoin. And it's doing just fine. And it's not doing too much. I'd rather not get too excited and too um too parabolic because then you, you know what happened in 2017 when you go too high when you re mean revert you have big problems so let me give you one good example that's what i fear in the stock market how do people remember 1987 there's a crash right not really stock market ended up two percent in the year it was nothing so if you look at the beginning and the end and you weren't involved if you were sleeping and you woke up then yeah two percent not a big deal but it's the key thing is when you go too far and revert that really alters human psychology, everything. That's the big problem we have in the stock market is it's gone up so far, so fast. It's got to stay there. And every it, it needs to stay there because if it just does some normal mean reversion, which I'm so fearful of, that triggers a lot of different things. So that's what I'm afraid of. And I like to use 1987 as an as example. No one remembers it as um, an unchanged year. It was only 2% for the S&P 500. Everybody remembers it as a crash just because it went too far too fast. Now, that's the cool thing about Bitcoin. It's had that rally. It's had that correction. It's had that period to sustain. It had that period of, of, of people to give up on it. And it's just trickling back up on good, solid fundamentals. Yeah. At the same time, I, I want to also address like some of the play devil's advocate of people who criticize this asset credit, right? You know, so they, they're saying like, listen, there was a lot of pump and dumps, you know, like in 2017, it was unprecedented time. There was like, you know, there's a lot of scams, MLM style projects that drew like artificially driven, like you know, uh, millions of people, retail investors predominantly, right? Who lost obviously like most of their money, 80 to 90% lost their money, right? And this this part, now we have kind of also lost of trust on a certain level, right? So, so and again, I, I, I'm sure you hear this argument for quite a while, right? And also, uh, for, uh, for quite often. So I would say, like, I, I'm just curious to hear your opinion. How how do we also, um, I would say, as an industry, secure this position so to, to also explain institutional grade investors that this like not likely to happen again? Well, I've used, used your narrative for my whole career. Hard, I'm part of analyzing markets. And the bottom line is when you sense that everybody agrees with your opinion, you're far, hardly ever right. You need disdain, you need distraction, you need people to disagree, certainly something like this. I mean, and especially the ones that are really can be, get angry about it, which is the best, because you know they have solid feelings about it, and oftentimes it's because they know they're missing out on something. <laughs> um, um, so that's what I, and I, I speak to some money managers, a lot of them friends, and some of them were getting involved in in that the, I don't want to, in, in some of these investments, and they'll, I remember pointing out to me, oh, Mike, this chart looks bad. I'm like, well, that's it's supposed to look bad. It's just the way it is. Think of it fundamentally, forget about it, and either buy and hold or add in a little more. Don't trade. Now, I'm, I'm not a trader. Some people can trade. I've just learned my lesson I used to have here. Um, this is the type of asset that you're supposed to expect to appreciate, and I just think that to happen. So I always look at, okay, what are the solid fundamentals? And I've mentioned some of those. Um, and anytime I hear a lot of disagreement, like I said, that's good. So let me give you one example. When I was in the trading pits, my job was to be on the phones, arb into the pits, and I was one of those guys always on the phones, and this was the big pits in Chicago, not these sissy pits in New York. I like to get those digs with my New York friends. I've been here for 30 years. so. But you know, my job was to arb in the pits and always come up with ideas and help people hedge and come up, and once in a while I'd come up with an idea, and if everybody agreed with me, 
they would do the trade with me, usually it was an options, and I virtually guarantee it was wrong. Now I'd make the commission, but when I did um, had a, what I thought was a great idea, and I called seven people, and they all disagreed, it was virtually guaranteed. I wouldn't make any money in commission, but it was virtually guaranteed to be right. So that's just one of those things you have to look at in, in, in this space. And that's one thing I really, and kind of getting a little concerned about when we have like MicroStrategy and Michael Slayer coming around. Now he's unique right now, but he's getting a lot of followers. Um, and he makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's what I'm trying to, what's the iteration for that next? And the key one I see is, I'm trying to say it's probably still new. Most people disagree with it. And, and the sense I'm getting is once we get people kind of give up on equities a little bit, there'll be a flood potentially. And right now the floods are, this year we've seen a flood. We're seeing a flood really starting to kick in from institutional money. So you see the flood coming mostly from the companies like, uh, like from, uh, MicroStrategy like, uh, and Square and other like, you know, uh, folks who also use their balance sheet to invest in Bitcoin in a hundred year view. Uh, or you see some other opportunities. Well, that that's the thing right now. I'm not flood of, um, Looks like I lost you there for a second, but I think we're back. I, I'm thinking more of the flood of investors. So your typical 401k type investor can't get involved. They can buy GBTC, but they're really not folk. And they're so focused on equities that why not? In a bull market like this, historically, one of the best runs ever, you should. It's just human nature. And that's why I, me as a strategist and a contrarian, you have to say, okay, where's the value? Tilt towards value. There's no value in bonds anymore. Stocks are, can be considered expensive based on debt to G and based on levels versus um, you know U.S. market cap to GDP. So I'm expecting those type of flows, not not just from corporate treasuries, potentially eventually maybe central banks. I mean, China's already one of the biggest miners in, in the world, but from rather normal individual investors. Mm -hmm. And I'm sensing a lot of it lately. Like I, I hear people asking like, like, hey, you know, how do we get involved and how do we do it and how do we buy? And it's not easy. You can't just go push a button on your Schwab account and buy an ETF. Um, you have to buy things that are like, that's why GBTC has become a default, but it has a sharp premium to price. It reminds me of this uh, almost like a contrarian view of uh, Michael Burry during the 2008, you know, crisis when he was, he went against the, like all the odds and most of the financial analysts and uh, who predicted that, you know, nothing will happen. Everything will be fine with the CDOs, right? And, it was right, and there's not many people who actually who were capable of predicting this. So, so you think that's also? Uh, do you consider it also like more of a old school like legacy that people are a little bit afraid, honestly, like of this new asset class? We're hearing all the myth. Yeah. You got to be afraid. It's new technology. If you're not afraid to new technology, something's wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, I want to go back to that point you just mentioned. The, the movie in the book, The Big Short. And I remember watching it with my adult children and pointing out that's the hardest thing about being a contrarian. And it happened to me in 2000. I got really buried up 2007. One simple measure. The VIX volatility index, 200-day average, 52-week average, dropped to lowest ever. Like, okay, number one rule in options trading is volatility is always mean reverting. That's all it did. It mean reverted. It just waits for a catalyst. That same measure dropped to the lowest level ever, a new low, beginning 2018. Now we've had the pickup in volatility since. We've had some main things happen. Some reasons to make that, you know, just human nature. And I didn't predict COVID, but that to me was the key thing when you do something like it. it most of those guys get stopped out. He's one of the people who were able to hold on. So that was been has been my vision and my fear in equities for the last two years. Thank God they're all time new highs and we haven't really crashed. But um, 
that's where I see volatility is a key thing to always watch as a trader. And that's why it's so important to point out that 260-day volatility on Bitcoin is the lowest ever versus the NASDAQ. It's about 1.6 or so. In 2017, it was about six times that of the NASDAQ. So those trends are important and significant to watch. And at some point, that will mean revert if history is a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where we're very expecting these times because again, like for for people like Michael Sale from MicroStrategy or any other like uh, folks of this caliber, like you know, if we want them to invest like more billions of dollars in the industry, and we want to make sure that you know that's also a stable asset class. So, so you mentioned uh, uh, during the interview that his major bet is uh, like you know his inflationist. So he, he 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 tries to beat inflation, right? That's his like inflation resistant asset. Like so. If you analyze commercial real estate, gold, like you know, ETFs, yeah. like you know, like or anything else, right? How, in your point of view, like you know, right now, what are they also like you know the major criteria, like you know, how such high-level caliber of people, like who who are looking to invest more billions into this market, what would be the major points for them to see that this is inflation-resistant asset? So it's not so much. Yeah, it's definitely inflation resistant. Um, I was kind of surprised he went all in on Bitcoin because I look, I bucket it with gold. I think the prudent thing from an investment, you know, someone managing companies, um, treasury like that is to use a basket of, um, of precious metals and Bitcoin and maybe a more of an index and, and partly an index and, and tracking index on cryptos, but Bitcoin is really more unique in that space. So, um, the key point I like to make is in having this discussion often is there was a article in New York Times recently about an apartment that was bought in, for $25,000 in 1970s and just sold for $2.5 million. Now, is that apartment that much better? Sure, it's had improvements. No, it's just that piece of paper that it's valued in will always, in the history of mankind, will always um, go down in value. The big difference when people point out that, oh, gold's, you know, the dollar's lost its value versus gold over time is... It misses the key thing about a dollar deposited in the bank account. And when I was a kid in the 70s, I used to get 15% in my bank savings account. It earns interest. It did. It doesn't anymore. So that's the key point about there's no end in sight for this game of increasing debt to GDP. One in About 140% in this country now, depending on how you measure it. Last, and last year was around 100%. QE. Uh, in this country, almost 40%, um, and that's uh, central bank balance sheet is measured in GDP. There's no end in sight for that, I don't see, without some form of debasement of the currency. And I don't really mean easily can have inflation. Now, we haven't had inflation problem in this country for a long time. It's still a bit of a dream. And there's a very easy way to pl- create inflation. We can do it in a heartbeat. Um, Venezuela's done it um, in you know, many other countries have done it. But remember, we wrote those checks, the US government wrote checks to people in March and April for assistance, everything, mm-hmm. just add a zero. And if you don't get inflation, add another zero, we'll get inflation guaranteed. So we can do it, no problem. The Fed can do it. And I think one of the best ways to really create inflation is buy long bonds, take that long bond zero interest rate down to zero. I think that's going to happen. And at some point, I don't see what's going to stop it. So but the key thing to remember is physical assets, really have value. When we earn these pieces of paper, it's just prudent, number one, pay your taxes always. But to anything we can have left over, put it in prudent physical assets, it'll appreciate over time. Now, obviously that's been the stock market. It just, at some point it gets a little expensive and you might wanna um, overweight or underweight. Real estate, 
uh, income-producing real estate, definitely raw land. I come from a land of, I used to own a farm. Raw land, and you know, over time, it's been, um, Iowa farmland has been basically priced in gold, has been basically five ounces of gold since 1970. I mean, it fluctuates, but it's still, that's store value. Yet, kind of easier to hold the gold in the ETF than the, to deal with all the land is, you know, you have a lot more issues to deal with. So to me, that's the key thing. That's a prudent thing that's happening. And I sense next year it's kicking in and maybe a little bit more now because of, you know, look for inflection points, like I mentioned, Bitcoin breaking above 12,000, same price as NASDAQ for since 2007. NASDAQ kind of saying, oh, I don't like 12,000 so bad. So that might be the first sign of inflection point. And then we have this election in two weeks or less than two weeks. And that could be the catalyst for this key Remember, you always look for cows, but this key factor that has been, like I mentioned, 2018 U.S. stock market volatility dropped to the lowest, um, the VIX ever. Um, actually, volatility in the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 lowest in 50 years. That mean reversing process, something to kick in um, basically to, to end this period of outperformance of the U.S. stock market. A new administration could do it. Democratic sweep is a good thing. And then switch it way over to things like Bitcoin. I sense that could be coming. I'm looking for all the little inflection points, all the little signs it will continue. And of course, the election might be a, a key point. We'll see how that works out. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, I, I want to also pick your brain a little bit on the other like topic, which is now popular and this uh, you know, decentralized world. And, uh, as we call it, DeFi, right? Decentralized finance, right? There are a lot of new synthetic assets, you know, like and which allow you to basically stake, you know, like so mine, but like you know, but like in staking your your tokens and make like six, twenty percent, you know, fifteen percent, and then on the one hand, critics say like, well, the inflation can kill the like you know the 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 base value of this of this token. On the other hand, like there are a lot of enthusiastic people who say, listen, I I, I actually earning more than in any bank in the world, right? The banks are not paying their safety wire, right? So how do you view it like, you know, this new lending slash yield farming uh, craze? Well, I, I see, first of all, I'll start with um, a lot of these tokens and issues, I think, directly related to Ethereum. So I think it's part of the reason Ethereum has been able to break back up of 400, be one of the best performing cryptos this year. Um, but it has a lot of competition. But the bottom line for me is I'm surprised, and this is my eldest son, who's really pointed out the Bitcoin to me in, in 2012, pointed out to me, he says, Dad, I'm, I just got 20 bucks interest in my in my BlockFi account. I think he has one at Celsius and another one too. He does a whole lot. But I'm like, I don't think I've earned $20 interest in my uh, my Chase checking account in a year and maybe a couple of years. So years. that to me is a key thing that it's yeah. every day that that doesn't fail, money's going to flow that way. And that's what I see happening right now. When you can clunk down a, a Bitcoin or a couple of Ethereum and earn 6% interest on that and not have to worry, you know, yeah, sure, there's worries. Why wouldn't you do that? Not with a lot of money. And so you do it for a year or two in a small money and it does, it keeps working. You keep doing it. I think that's going to attract more and more capital. That's what's helping appreciate and make the space go up higher. I think that's part of the reason that Bloomberg Galaxy in, in this is indexes appreciating definitely Bitcoin. But in a world of zero interest rates, when you get nothing, that's very attractive. And that is, I like how you know, Alex Smashinsky of Celsius point, it's just sec lending, security lending. That's just all it is now. That's what he says. I mean, I trust him and sure they're going to be headline risk and things that can go wrong. But every day that Bitcoin doesn't fail and every day that goes by that you're earning five to six percent on your holdings and you get nothing with U.S. dollars, that makes money flow towards the 
returns. It's just simply how currencies work. Money will always flow towards where you can get the better interest rate and better returns. Right. So you're, you're positive about it, right? Uh, and the, the other thing in your article, which I've, uh, I want to also uh, mention that you, you point out that there, one of the bullish trend is also, uh, uh, also ad- adoption of stable coins, right? You know, we see that the rapid rise in market cap of Tether and other stable coins, like we see record high, like $60 billion in the start of October. And, you know, Tether represents, you know, so-called like, you know, that's, you know, a stable form of payment, like it's pegged one to one to dollars. So I, I want to hear your opinion that how stable coin play out in the entire digital asset ecosystem as well. To me, what's happening, let's start with Tether. I, I pulled up my uh, um, coin market cap as we're speaking. It's 16 billion right now. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, it was 3 billion. I was in Hong Kong, I remember in 2018, and pointed out the market was just collapsing. I'm pointing, but Tether market cap's doing this. And everybody poo pooed it. I'm like, I'm just a strategist. All I know is it's doing this, and everything else is doing this. That means something. So to me, what's happening there is the market wants digital. Dollars. It wants a central bank digital currencies. And as much as countries like China and Russia don't like it, the dollar is just the way it is. And the dollar is world se- the global central bank, the global currency, and it's going to stay that way for a long time. Um, and Tether is just what's happening there is um, indicative of what the market wants, and it's going to continue. And central banks are just going to go there at some point use their own their currencies in in digital format central bank digital currency but the key fact i like to point about tether is if the trends of the last two years remain the same when we look at coin market cap next year it'll be bitcoin one tether number two ethereum number three that's if trends remain the same and that will be to me okay it could change it probably won't happen that fast if the market continues to appreciate um ethereum will go up more but Ethereum right now is only 46 billion tether is 15 16 that spread that was much wider just a year or two ago. And I think what that'll mean is Bitcoin is will be the gold to um, tether being the dollar in cryptocurrencies. And it's just a matter of time. Bitcoin is the place where you want to store your value. Don't really want to spend the collectible. Bitcoin's becoming a collectible. I mean, supply is going down, but you want to spend those dollars. I mean, they're perfect for spending. You don't want to waste them in an account. You want to spend them. That helps the economy. Don't get any interest. You're printing a lot of them. <laughs> There's plenty of supply, so use them to spend. But um, replacing the dollar as a, a global reserve currency, as a, as a global currency, that's not going to happen. It's going to be a long time. But maybe Bitcoin will be that store of value that's it's knocking on the door of gold. Mm-hmm. Interesting analysis. So. My, my question to you is, uh, there's a, a major concern of how would you actually audit a lot of stable coins, right? Because they're all also like, have on the one hand, this attractive uh, uh, characteristics and you can like, easily like send one to one pack dollar like anywhere in the world, Tether like, or any other USDC. But at the same time, like, you know, who, who will actually take responsibility to audit those assets and their treasuries and their reserves? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I have I have a, another son who just studying for a CPA and become an accountant. I'm like, it's a great space. I need accountants. Go there, figure it out. You know, let you figure it out. And I'll just be the analyst who tries to help see what that does for price. But it'll happen. I mean, just like all new technologies, we figured out how to regulate airplanes and how to use them properly. And automobiles were a big deal a couple hundred years ago. And we figured those out. And this is just an internet. We figured that out. This is just another way um, to, I remember being a student in Europe and exchanging money was a bit of a 
paint. Um, and that's a lot easier now. Um, still kind of a pain, but to me, that's something that has to change. I, if I can't travel internationally, use a central bank or some kind of digital currency that without without someone taking 2% in between, I'll be kind of shocked. And to me, that's what's going to happen. It's just um, I let the smarter people in the technology and the, and the regulators figure that one out. So when when is your prediction central banks will accept Bitcoin? Well, so much by accepting, you mean um, like safety now, when it says in Bitcoin standard, by starting to allocate a hold it as part of the reserves. I don't know, but that's the unique thing about Bitcoin. It could happen. It, it I'm suspecting before when I read the book, I was classic um, zealot. Like, yeah, it's not going to happen. And no zealot like a convert. Now I'm like, well, this could happen. Um, right now, the market is too small. Um, 240 billion, add a zero to that. Oh, add another zero to that. Oh boy, that's the unique thing about it. It's so nascent. When we talk about this ten years ago from now, we're going to say, okay, it's too small. It was too small back in 2020, but the market's much bigger now, and it very much could and should happen. And Bitcoin's the one. It's first. It's the one being adopted, um, and it's neutral, like gold. And central banks hold gold. Last year, they, they absorbed 20% of mining supply, and for good reason. I remember I saw it at the Federal Reserve Bank, the largest hold of gold in the world. It was pretty cool, holding a bar and going down in the vault and everything that was built in 1914 or something like that. Um, but I don't see why they not. And a key point is if there's one country that holds a lot of Bitcoin, it's China. They have a bit of a, you know issue with they don't have the global reserve currency. Um, they don't have the largest hoard of gold, but they the biggest uh, miners of gold in the world and the largest because that's where a lot of the mining happens. So um, I wonder what their plans are. I mean, it's an arch rival to us, but historically that's usually how it's happened. The largest, the two big economies becoming um, battling a little bit. Oh yeah. They're competing for the dominance to become number one economy in the world. And China is, is a great contester in this, in this sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, they, they are. We don't have to go there too much, but communist country, that's actually dictatorship. Good luck. Typically doesn't a, work. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, we won't have to go there too much. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot of downside, like in the freedom there. So like it's it's people's choice. I get like some people are excited about China and they have millions of dollars in business. That's why they have to protect their interests. But yeah. I they don't live there, so it's it's kind of yeah. a little bit of hypocritical to me. But anyway, so I'm I'm also curious to hear like who inspires you in the industry, right? As a uh, like maybe two or three people who like you're a great analyst. I'm sure you you read a lot of other like works and maybe like newsletters or just like you know other websites where you also like you know use the well of <laughs> of the information about DeFi or just general news about crypto. So one thing about cryptos that I love and I'm addicted to is podcasts and videos and things like yours is. My typical weekend, I'll listen to a dozen of them, doing my yard work or working out and doing anything when I'm not spending time with my family. Um, and the information is great. You have to watch out for what you sometimes even be careful. But it's so much enthusiasm and using this new technology of how to get word across and information across. So I find it delightful. I'm happy to contribute. Um, but there's so much just click of a button on my podcast, you can get so much information. Um, and that's what I find unique about it and continue to be, um, gets me excited. Um, I don't know where it's gonna go, but it's, um, 
something I was never, I mean, I remember the old days when I'd come in the training pitch, you'd walk in with having read the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Barron's on the weekend. And everything else was peripheral. And of course, you just watch Wall Street Week and things like that. And then, of course, personal newsletters. And it was all, you had to pay for that piece of paper and it you read and stuff. Um, nowadays, the information flow is so right on my phone. It's so, it's great. And for me, I get good amount of my information from Bloomberg has, you know, I have the benefit of having worked for Bloomberg. We have very good disseminated information and it's just a matter of absorbing it all. Got it. And maybe one book that, uh, like maybe not even in fintech, but one book that changed your life and or inspired you. Well, in this space, definitely Safety Amos, Amos's, um Bitcoin Standard um, and, uh, um, and uh, Digital Gold. Um, definitely, I forget the author's name, but he's, I've spoken to it before. But those are two key books in the space that are highly recommended. Um, I, one thing I love about Saifedean, I used to work for a, a Lebanese. He's got that unique Lebanese stoicism. You know, mm -hmm. having lived and experienced the Civil War, they get life. And he just points out facts, and he's not afraid to say his opinion. And that's what I want. I want people's opinion. You know, not don't have to be. Um, we don't have to. Dis we can disagree, but sometimes it's best we disagree, and we can really help. But his, his I find, um, from my economic standpoint, macroeconomic standpoint, to understand that's um, Bitcoin standards one of the best in the space. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and digital gold. Nathaniel Popper, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Nathaniel Popper, yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's already like several people on my podcast that mentioned this book, so I already know it by heart almost. <laughs> um, no, it's it's great. Uh, look, and I, I and I really appreciate what you're doing for the industry. I think having uh, people like you who are like I would say coming from a traditional background and have a tremendous career, traditional finance, and going through the journeys of working with ETFs, you know, different futures, different derivatives uh, generally, and like looking at gold, looking at other asymmetric asset classes, and still like you know, paying a lot of attention to Bitcoin. It's it's a tremendous value. So thank you for all your hard work for your analysis. And where could people actually read you more? Like you know, like is there like a uh, a link we can share in Bloomberg that I can like read the digest of your works? Well, I appreciate the thanking me, but I am an employee of Bloomberg, and my primary focus with Bloomberg Intelligence is writing for Bloomberg um, subscribers. So. Um, maybe someday some of our listeners will, um, some of them I'm sure are, are Bloomberg terminal users. Um, and I'm, I, I publish, I put my stuff on LinkedIn, Cliff Note versions. It can link in with me, um, reach out and I can add you in my distribution list. Um, we do publish, publish a monthly outlook, which you had taken a look at. And that's um, the Bloomberg crypto outlook, a monthly crypto outlook. And that is accessible to everybody. It's kind of a dissemination, some of the stuff we put on the terminal. But um, for me, the one thing I love about being here is I'm completely unbiased and neutral. I have no, I'm not buy side, I'm sell side. My main goal is to get it right for terminal subscribers first. They support me. I mean, that's how we, that's no, no bias. I mean, that's just how Bloomberg works. But I'm not buy side or sell side. I've been there. I remember being on an ETF firm and you had to be bullish gold. I'm like, okay, that's kind of dicey. And you had to be bullish the stock market. I'm like, okay. Um, here it's getting it right. And I didn't make a lot of fans in 2018, 2017. In fact, I had some pretty nasty hate mail. And I said, nope, market's going down. I remember my target was a thousand when we we're around 10,000. We got down to three. Like, no, sorry, I missed that by a couple handles. But then got bullish a little bit late. And now I'm bullish. So some people don't hate me anymore, but 
I can turn on a dime for it. It depends on what it is. And I have to be neutral completely. This is what I think. Here's why. And back it up with what I get in the terminal. Which I think that's why you have also a lot of respect in the industry, regardless. Like people, people like analysts, it's easy to say that someone is wrong when they're, they're wrong, but it's also hard to acknowledge when everyone is right, like most of the times. And, you know, in the trading world, like you have to be right, like at least 60 to 70% of the time, right? So that's, that's a good bet. Like, so, uh, there, I, there was a key, there's a key point in that. And we used to say in the trading desk is what 70% in between of every trade. You don't really want the wings. You're never going to sell the high and buy the low. And if you do, something's wrong, but getting that 70, 70%, 67%. And the key thing we, from it, that's investing, but trading good stops, <laughs> having, being able to manage your stops. Well, and the key thing about stops is oftentimes you'll get stopped out and get your face ripped off and the market will come right back to that. That's just the way it works when you trade. So that's why I like to focus on just um, long investing long and short. And I interrupted you, so I apologize for that. No, no, that, that's all good. Like, again, it's uh, uh, it's interesting to hear your opinion, and I want to make sure that people, like, you know, learn more from you, right, and read your your digest, uh, read, uh, subscribe to Bloomberg Newsletter. And uh, the last thing I we'll probably would say, like, you know, what, what is the meaning behind all this digital assets for you personally? More of a philosophical level than economically. Well, um, one thing, I think it's... Um, human nature to want to help other people as long as it, you don't have to suffer too much. I have to admit that as, you know, as long as I don't have a sharp stick in my eye and love to help other people. Um, and that's what I feel like I'm doing here. So sometimes I think it's a bit of, it's not a fiduciary, but some from my duty to point out, no, this um, doesn't look right. And here's why, um, you know, when markets get too expensive or too cheap and um, you don't make friends doing that. But sometimes you do. So what I love about what I hear now, so a lot of people at Bloomberg, the quote is, it's a good place to start your career and end your career. Now I'm in my fifties and I don't plan on ever retiring. And this is just, I enjoy what I do. Enjoy the space. I need to keep in touch with people like you as much as possible to absorb everything that's new and happening to keep up with it. But it's like that key thing that Einstein said is the number one key thing in life to stay happy is curiosity. It's just staying curious in this space just grabs my curiosity every day, every week. And I mean, I have my report I've been reading about um, central bank digital currencies from the BIS that I let that put me to sleep last weekend. So yes, no, thank uh, for you for all your uh, insights. I think they're not only important, but they're also very informative. So uh, I hope now you're going to have more LinkedIn subscribers and, and uh, other people who, who are looking to uh, just subscribe from Bloomberg uh, newsletter. That's also like uh, Mike McClone. I'm sure you're going to get a notice uh, his work. And yeah, so I really appreciate your work and happy to read you more. Well, I appreciate your work. I appreciate what you do in the space. You're a good example of disseminating good styled information and helping educate people about the space. So I thank you for that. And thank you for having me on. Thank you so much.